Welcome y'all to the Irrational Kindness Podcast. Thanks for joining today's episode. We're so glad that you're here. And I am so excited about what we're diving into today. But before we get to that, as usual, if you want to stay up to date with all things going on Irrational Kindness, you know where to check it out, irrationalkindness.com. And if you want, you can subscribe on all the different platforms that podcasts can be found. So we want you to subscribe. And you all, today's podcast is something so special. We are doing a Better Together March coming up, and you're going to hear more about it in the interview. And so I'm I'm so excited to dive into that. You're listening to Irrational Kindness. Hi, I'm Kevin. And I'm Princess. We work with hundreds of amazing team members at our three Chick-fil-A restaurants in Canton, Georgia. We lift up the celebrity in every human. Hey, that's you. We seek to understand over being understood and prioritize kindness towards yourself and others over over everything. everything. Kevin, tell me about who we're interviewing today. We're going to get to meet Pastor Ferran Johnson. This guy is quickly becoming my hero. He is not only the pastor of St. Paul AME Church here in Canton, but he's also the assistant principal at Chambly Charter High School. I love his wife, Lori. She's just awesome. They have three children, Lauren, Jasmine, and Joyce. He's just got a full life, but this guy is pouring into this community and he's pouring into us as an organization to learn how to be better together by spending time together. And I'm excited for people to get to learn as I have as a student under Pastor Ferran Johnson. Princess. Yes. Let me tell you what I know about Pastor Ferran Johnson. Okay. Two things have really been very memorable, impactful in my life. Mm. One of them, I was on a plane and I watched the movie Maynard. Mm. Have you seen the movie Maynard? The story of Atlanta unfolding Mm. and the impact that Maynard had. And by the way, one time I was eating next to Maynard Jackson and I thought that was the coolest, the coolest thing in Atlanta, you know, to see Maynard because he was such a, a figure, you know, he was a large figure in itself, but just such, had such a presence about him. But so hearing his story in detail about the impact he had on race and diversity and pushing us in a growth mindset of mm. race when he became mayor really impacted me and really caused me to come back and really think about some relationships I had. Yeah. Me and you had a lot of discussions around that time. It really opened my eyes to push some different things as a business owner. Yeah. And then the second one was George Ford's death. Yeah. It really got me to think differently in yeah. a lot of different areas. And one of them was becoming friends and making a call to a friend that I had never even known. And I've been in this community 20-something years, oh, wow. but I never had known Pastor Ferran Johnson. And I'm like, when I realized that church and that I didn't have that friendship, it meant a lot to me. So, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Ferran Johnson. Woo! <laughs> How about that call when you came in and you got a call from me, and then you come willing in your wheelchair? What was that like? <laughs> That was interesting, you know, because I I was told I was supposed to be still, but I couldn't. I'm not normally a still person anyway. I'm always on the go and always going. And my wife says, never slow down. But I really wanted to get a chance to meet and talk to you. Hmm. And um, because I like you, I wanted to get you know people in the community a lot more. 
um, than where we were and um, build those relationships. So my wife said, well, what you doing? I said, I need to go to Canton. What are we going to Canton for? Uh, going to meet with, I want a Chick-fil-A. He's okay, I'll take you, but I got to get something to eat. <laughs> as long as there's some food in it, I we're love good. It. <laughs> you know, because, you know, my daughter is a Chick-fil-A head since she was new Chick-fil-A. Oh. So I tell we rack up more points on, on the Chick-fil-A app than I think anybody can. Um, and so that was a good thing, you know, to get up and to come see you. Well, it, it, I know it took a lot. We're in the middle of COVID. You had, he had some foot surgery and uh, comes in. But what I learned from you that day was, first of all, I don't know how you how you do all these things you do mm-hmm. from pastoring to being a principal, but to hear your passion for this community and to explore some of the ideas of how we could join together as two leaders in the community and spend more time together and uh, was really special that you would open up to me like that. Well, it really was special for me, too, as well. Um, you know, when you meet people who have a passion for the community, um, it kind of does something in your heart because you don't always find people like that. Sometimes people will have businesses in the community, but they don't care about the community. Hmm. Um, and you know, that hurts because that's the support. Those are the people that are there. And so to meet someone with a heart that like yours that had it, 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 it did me very well. It did, it, it, you know, it was something that I talked about with my wife for a long time because hmm. you don't always meet people like that. And then turn around and meet princes too. <laughs> Hit it That's all. the bonus. I, I just, every day I pinch myself, I get to hang around princes. Whatever. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> no, hey, uh, tell, what did George Floyd's death hmm. mean to you as a leader of a church and as a principal? Uh, first, it was painful. Hmm. Because um, there was a book I used to teach when I was in the classroom called The Invisible Man. I would teach yeah. the book to eighth graders. And oftentimes people don't know what it's like to be a person and yet not be a person. Yeah. You know, um, when people like to say, I don't see you. That's really why I, I be personally, I don't like to hear the term, I don't see color. Yeah. Because to me, you're saying you don't see me. Mm. And to watch how that unfolded really hurt. Now, it may have been a shock to some, but the reality for us and for me, um, I've questioned a lot of times that people of color um, have been shot hmm. or killed. And it's easy to say they had a gun. I even hate that term because in one breath I hear people say um, we defend the Second Amendment rights. Hmm. but often one of those rights only relate to one set of people. Hmm. It's okay for one set to have guns, but not okay for another set to have guns. So, you know, it it, it really pained a lot. I had to do a lot of talking to uh, my church people, uh, congregation, and to the school. What did that empower you to do? Stop the silo. Yeah. Um, You know, we've been taught um, just to be quiet, to not make waves, or you learn that people are not going to listen anyway. But I got to the point now where I can't be silent about it, um, nor will I be complacent about uh, when people do something that is, whether it's stereotype, it's a bias or implicit bias, or just right out racism. Because to do so means that we're just being shut up in the inside. Mm. And, you know, and, and one thing that really hurt me and this is just from years because I grew up in the South and I've had 
many opportunities to have seen racist things happen to me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of builds up on the inside of you. Yeah. Um, and most people don't understand to see that happen. So when I saw the, the, yeah. the, the George Floyd, it just really, really did something. And it was hard for me to speak for, for, a, few, for a few days about it. Yeah. Our race relations have improved, hmm. or do you not think things were getting better? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you that everything was getting better. I think what we've done a great job at is covering up the wounds. Hmm. I think what we've done a great job at is putting a blanket over the window so no one can see in. Um, but the fight and the battle was still going on. Hmm. Um, new terminology, new ways of saying it, but it still me- meant the same uh, missed opportunities for us to fix it. When we look at the movement that happened in the 60s, should we be at this point now? Hmm. And if you can look at George Floyd um, just a few months ago and then watch a police officer today on the news shoot a man getting in his car up close to point blank range that did not have a weapon that can't happen. And, and, and that hurts. So I do think that we have made some strides. So I will agree with you. There are some strides we have made, but I don't think that they have been enough. Mm-hmm. I think that we pride ourselves at opening the door, but we have not done anything to walk through it. And the only way to do it is we have to walk through it together and we have to walk through it open and honestly. Yeah. We have to see um, what those mistakes are on them and then literally do something um, about it. My daughter had a conversation with me the other day, and you know, we talked about the sentencing for the latest couple for college cheating. Two months. Mm-hmm. Paying millions of dollars, two months for the wife and five months for the husband. But there's a mother who was trying to do a better for her daughter in kindergarten, and they gave her five years mm. for, for using a different address, they said. That is systemic racism. Is that? Oh, uh, yeah. Systemic to me is when it's built into the structure. Dr. Cohen used to say that his definition of racism and racist are those who have the power to move structures and systems. Hmm. Because that's a whole different ballgame. And we need to really deal with some of the systemic systems that hurt people. Yeah. Would you say that the way we worship is a systemic issue. Martin Luther King said, I believe, that yeah. the most segregated time is Sunday mornings. Yeah. Am I right? That, I mean, he did. I mean, that is true. Is, I, you know, we have the white church and we have the black church, or at least I feel like that's how it's talked about. Uh, well, Princess, you're right. We have a black <laughs> church. And do I think it's systemic? I say yes. I think we have not found the comfortability to be around each other as it relates to God. We have not found how to see God made us all the same. Hmm. And because of that, we worship differently. And a lot of that worship and differences come from how we view God. Because how you see God determines how you worship. And people may disagree, but, you know, for some people, God is a provider. For others, he is a protector. If you take someone, depending on the neighborhood that they're in, they deal more with God to help them overcome oppression. Hmm. 
and they see God needing to help them overcome, and then even more so how to deal with living in something that you cannot change. That's good. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and some people say, well, but you don't, you don't get out. No, let me explain something to you. Just because you go to the zoo and see an animal in a cage does not mean that that animal is happy. The animal can jump around, be happy, smile, yawn, lay down, but that doesn't mean that that's where they want to be because they are still limited. Hmm. They were not born to be in captivity in that way. And neither are people born to be set aside and, and put into a box or a cage in their mind or thought or raised up in ideologies that keep them tied to a particular thought pattern. And so they believe coming into the church. And so when they worship, it's a whole new form of worship. There's some things I preach about in the black church that I can't go and preach about in the white church, depending because the context changes. It is easier for blacks to go into the white church Come on. than for whites to come into the black church. Part of it has to be to deal with how people see God and then who they can see in that position because now that pastor represents who that is. Now, if you've been raised to see a white Jesus, it's not a problem with you walking into the white church or being a white person and seeing the pastor and then be able to worship and understand and get something from them Hmm. by seeing them as a head. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case, you know, on the other way around. Now they got to come in and now they have to feel that that reverence mm-hmm. and open up because that's your pastor now. And a lot of people can't do that. Well, even to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, my husband, he's actually white. And uh, before we moved to Georgia, he lived in the inner city of Durham. So in, in a neighborhood called East Durham, which is predominantly black. And he purposely, we were part of a predominantly white church, but he purposely went to the black church that was, I mean, it was one of the church plants, but a black church that was in the neighborhood because he said, it is good for me to learn how to submit under the leadership of a black man. And I think it kind of even ties to what you're saying in our power, in the way that society is set up, there are not many instances in which white people have to choose to submit under the leadership of a black person. Correct. But in church, if you do have a white person who goes to a black church, then there is a a, a choice of submission. Whereas I can see what you're saying. It's a lot easier for a black person to go. And I I think if you even touch on it, the whole assimilation of culture, it would be a lot easier. I mean, especially as a black person who navigates many white spaces for me to assimilate to white culture in church as well than it is for maybe a white person who doesn't have to assimilate in natural spaces to black culture or what may be discomfort or uncomfortable being one of only in a predominantly black or minority space. But it, I mean, but it's real. And I, and I think that's, I never thought about it because obviously, like I said, my dad's a pastor group in a black church. So there was not a dynamic. But when my husband said that, it was like, oh, I didn't realize that there, that's an intentional submission that you're choosing to go through or to do. Well, And and that's what made President Barack Obama's elevation to presidency difficult for many. Hmm. I didn't think about that. That's good. Because now he was sitting at the top and they were going to have to say, that's my president. And you saw some things that were out of the decorum that even in the Congress, when they would scream out in the Congress, which no one ever has done to any other president, and because of that submission factor. 
And that's difficult. That's what we now see in the dynamic of the church, why you have the, the you know, it's the most segregated time of the hour, you know, mm-hmm. hour of the, of the Sunday is just that piece alone. Hmm. What does a person do to fight systemic racism? It's an easy thing to say. You have to um, vote in persons who recognize that there is a system that needs to be changed and are willing to help break it. Because, you know, some things are laws. There are laws that impact. There are things on the books that keep the cycle going. All of these things have to be touched. And then people who are what I call, let me say this, my lighter skinned brothers (laughs) and sisters have to be willing to also stand up even in their capacity to say it's wrong. We got to fix it. Because the complacency can't be just on one side. It has to be across. When, when we sat down, we talked about this Better Together March. Mm-hmm. And a Better Together March, you can't say you're better together unless you believe you're better together. Yeah. And I do think it starts with that to say, if we're going to really believe we're better together, can we get together and, uh, and hold hands? So we had this idea of, hey, why don't we... March. I had never been on a march. Mm-mm. I was ready to call it a walk. He wanted. I said, but it's a march. He said, well, let's call it a march. Yeah, I love that. So September thirteenth, we're going to march in Canton along MLK. Mm-hmm. But why? Um, why is a march important? I, I, I think the march is important because in all the ways that we have found over the last few months to go to our separate corners. We've got to now know how to come out of our corners and work for a better place where we live. You're never going to win point fingers and then go into a corner. It's not like a boxing match where you stop the fight, send everybody to their corners, and then wait for the bell to ring for them to come back out and kill each other again. It has to be an opportunity where we come together, you know, that beloved community, because what changed in the 60s was everyone coming together. And that's how some those things started to move. And that's why this march is important. They need to see us together. Our kids need to see us together. Our families need to see us together. Businesses need to see us together. Schools need to see us together. Churches need to see us together. People who don't even believe in God need to see us together because they need to know that that's what's important. We're all one people. Hey, well, I hope everybody joins us on September 13th at 5 p.m. here in Canton, Georgia, mm-hmm. as we metaphorically lock arms mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle of COVID. But we're going to be together. Bring your mask, yes. bring your social distance, but we're going to redefine how we can spend time. And I hope that's the walk that we get to do together is Mm -hmm. we get to irrationally think differently by spending time together. And this is just our first step of a launching ground Mm -hmm. into a lot of things we can do together. So we're not just uh, walking one time. We're walking to set a stake in the ground that says Mm -hmm. we're on this journey together. Yeah, And uh, I can't do everything, but I can do something with Pastor Johnson. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a lot. Yeah. You know, 2020 has been a year. A, a decade. <laughs> okay. And we all thought 2020 with the cliches of, you know, I can see clearly now coming in January 1st, things are, you know, mm-hmm. 2020 vision. But we thought it was about what we see. And literally it was more so of what God sees and what he wants to do differently. Hmm. 
And so, you know, he had to slow everybody down. Stop doing that, Princess. Stop. Now y'all not going to work. Everybody sit down. I want to, I want y'all to do this because when you all are still, it's an unfortunate tragedy. But I want y'all to see this. Had y'all been in your busy lives, you would not have paid that much attention to it. Mm-hmm. Embrace the new you. How we did business prior to COVID will not go back the same way. What has happened has come so neutral and normal now that we can't go back to where we used to do it. So we have to embrace what God is doing with us now. The same way is with you personally. Wherever you were, whatever who you thought you were, pre-COVID will not be who you are coming out. And so you need to embrace you and embrace the new changes that God has imparted in you to push you to a whole new level because he's not accepting the old you. That's gone. Take it, love it, and reach into it and know that God has you. He won't let you go. And though he won't accept the old, he will accept the new. And becoming a new man, new woman is important for us as we strip off the old. And know that I believe in you. I trust God over you. And I pray for you. And above all, I love you. Keep reaching for God. Keep believing in him. And whatever he called you to be, love on it. And love him through it. Because he will walk you through some of the greatest challenges. Your worst part that you'll ever go through in your life is breaking through the ground. But once you do and the sun hits you, you'll mature into the beautiful flower that was planted by God. Wow. I think that says it all. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's more words that need to be said Mm -hmm. other than the fact that together, if we'll sit there and have these conversations that Pastor just shared with us and learn together, I think we're going to move things forward for this next generation and generations to come. Yeah, and we can continue locking arms with one another to rage against the cultural norms like he just has showed. And so, y'all, if you want a practical way to do that with us, come out, join us on September 13th at 5 p.m. for the Better Together March. We're going to be marching on Martin Luther King Boulevard right up here in Canton, Georgia. So you can find out all the information about it at irrationalkindness.com. There you can find all the information about the Better Together March. So until next time, stay kind, be irrational. We out. Gotta get in while you can. Gotta get out while you can. Gotta get in while you can. Gotta get out while you can. Play your cards right, middleman. Play your cards right, middleman. Play your cards right, man. And check your gauge. Check your gauge. Check your gauge. Check your gauge.